Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, if you have questions, we want to take time to answer those questions as much as we can week over week at the end of our podcast episodes. Uh, And so you can send those questions in to two places. One, you can shoot us an email. And the email address is info at grove.church. Make sure to put in the subject line. It's a podcast question. Or you can also jump on Facebook. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. And you can DM us any of those questions there. We really do try uh, and enjoy answering those questions week over week as much as we can. So we'd love for you to send those in this week. Uh, and t- make sure to say in the in, in the subject who your favorite pastor is, Evan or Aaron. Wow. And I'll give you a hint. AA is way before E. That's true. <laughs> oh man, I I always I mean E is nice. I have I tell the story pretty often, but like I got a ticket a few years ago, and it was normally uh, Westerfield being my last name is like normally that's fine, um, but boy it sucks sitting through like three hours of traffic court waiting for all of the other people to go first when you're just like trying to go up and like just get a deferment. Yeah, mine's nice and easy. Not that I've been to court. In, I can only remember last time I was in college years ago. I was like, I just need to change. AA and my last name's Den, so it works. I told Ashley we just need to change our last name to like Adams or something. There you go. Let's call it good. So anyway, let's or, or the, just A. I just just the word, just two A's, just one A, just to make sure. I guess one A would be before. Yeah, that's true. It would. You'd be you'd be number one overall. Oh man, what a world! You're Ashley's number one. Thank you. All On right. That note, Second <laughs> so, Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Uh, well, actually, we're in First Chronicles to start, and then we'll move over. But yeah, this week, listeners, we are in Chronicles and Psalms. It's going to be a pretty straightforward. And there uh, are a ton of Psalms. Oh yes, there are. All right. Well, we pick up in Chronicles with David expanding Israel's what, borders. What do we pick up in? We pick up in Chronicles. Is that what I said? It sounded like you said Chronicles. Chronicles. <laughs> it's Chronic What Calls uh, of Narnia. Yeah. Nope. That's not true. Anyway, so we pick up the book of Chronicles with David expanding Israel's borders, and then he subdues the Philistines in chapter nineteen. Good so, work, David. Yeah. Yeah. Those Get Philistines. Uh, in chapter twenty, Joab captures the Ammonite capital, capital of Rabbah. Although David wasn't there, huh? Interesting. I wonder what David was up to when he, because like, that's interesting. Yeah, usually David is with his mighty men, but I wonder now, if someone knows what happened. Man, now and he's why David wasn't there in Jerusalem by himself. That doesn't sound smart. Yeah, Chronicles didn't really touch on it, but this is when <laughs> this is when uh, David and Bathsheba do their things. So, uh, you know, the whole like Uriah the Hittite being murdered and David just being a total scumbag here. Care about that. Some adultery, some, you know. You said this last time, Chronicles cares about the line of David. Doesn't care about David's mistakes, cares about his line. Yeah, it doesn't care about the mother of the son of, of Solomon, but yeah, that's fine. Anyway, yeah, Chronicles is like, yeah, we don't need to, we don't need to yeah, Let's keep going. We'll let Kings deal with that. Uh, so we're going <laughs> to, sorry, we also get this awesome footnote. So this is in Chronicles chapter 20, and this says, and after he, after this, there arose war with the Philistines at Gezer. Then Sibachai, the Hushite, struck down Sippai, who was one of the descendants of the giants, and what? the Philistines were subdued. So we can assume some sort of relative of Goliath. Good work. Yeah. Way to go, bro. And then there was war again with the Philistines, and Elanan, hey. Oh, wait, no, this is a different one. Yeah. Oh, bummer. Was, he's not the son of Dodo. He's the <laughs> son of Jair. Uh, he struck down Lami, the brother of Goliath, the Gittite, the one... Uh, the shaft of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. I should have looked up a weaver's beam because this is the second week in a row we've been told that a giant's spear was like a weaver's beam. And I just, I, I think Aaron might be looking it up right now. So that, w- that would be helpful. 
Uh, and then there was again war at Gath, where there was a man of great stature who had six fingers on each hand. So if you've seen Princess Bride, now you're kind of wondering about this. Uh, and six toes on each foot, 24 in number. And he was also descended, descended from the giants. And when he taunted Israel, Jonathan, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother, struck him down. Hey, that's a good nephew for you. It's a big spear. It's a big spear. Do you yeah. know how like big it is approximately or like? There's a picture of a family holding one that I can show you. Show me. Oh uh, yeah. Just like. And it's massive is what it is. Uh, it's like a weaver's beam. So in essence, it's, it goes into a weaver's beam, uh, but it's probably talking about like the metal tip of the spear itself, uh, which is that thing that shoots back and forth when you're, when you're creating a blanket or whatever, uh, when you're weaving a, a oh. piece of fabric. Um, but if you look at what the fourth picture with the family there. Oh, that's how big. It is. Okay, yeah. So this is a family, and it looks like it's about two to three times the size of a man. Yeah, let's say let's say he's aver- let's say he's five ten, which I think he's a little shorter than that. But yeah. it's easily two and a half of him. So like fifteen feet, fifteen feet ish. Yeah. Okay. We'll say that. That's a good. That's a okay, good ballpark. Cool. Now I, fifteen feet ish. Now I have that in my head. Good deal. So now we know when it says that the spe- their spear was like a weaver's beam. They're saying there was a big old. There's a picture of a farmer holding one. Oh, and, okay. And the spearhead itself is probably. A, Bigger than his head by three times. So so it's it's massive. Let's just let's just leave it at that. It's massive. All right. Well, there you go. Anyways, David David's nephew, Jonathan, which, you know, hey, good name for a nephew as well. Uh, he takes down uh, and he just completely goes for it. And then finally, they were descended from the giants in Gath and they fell by the hand of David, by the hand of his servant. So just some big triumphs for David here. We're skipping over that one really big fail. But again, we know what happened. Uh, and then we skip forward a ton. So this is, I mean, honestly, this skips forward years yeah. and we go to David's census. And so this is the moment where, again, uh, David takes a census of his army and of the people and Yahweh is very upset with this and brings pestilence onto it. And he has to build an altar uh, and repents of this. So it's kind of, yeah, it's just a crazy, <laughs> crazy thing it happens towards the end of David's reign. In chapter 22, David prepares for the building of the temple. So he knows that he will not be the king who builds it, but he's trying to put everything in place so that essentially once he dies and his son becomes king, the temple can be started on because that was, even if, even if he was told by God that he cannot be the one to build it, it is clearly important for David that the temple be built. Yeah, that and so gets he, built. Yeah, and so he wants to make sure that this happens. Uh, chapter 23 we reach the end of David's reign and we see another, it's kind of just an organization of the people of Israel. So, and again, I've kind of said this with the first bit of uh, when we talked about Chronicles, but just imagine what it would be like to read through these lists as you are a Jew who's returning from from exile, you're living in Jerusalem, and it's just reading through the history of your people. So we read about the Levites and the priests, uh, musicians, the gatekeepers, uh, the treasurers and other government officials, the military, and then the, the individual tribal leaders and chieftains of the 12 tribes. So it's kind of this, this history, these names that you would actually be fairly familiar with. Um, and I guess, yeah, this would be similar to us reading about, I guess, early American history, including our ancestors. It's kind of, it's kind of a cool deal. Uh, chapters 28 through 29 contain the final charge of uh, David to Solomon, or the final changeover, I should say, of from David to Solomon. And this concludes with Solomon being anointed as king and then David's death. And remember, Solomon is anointed king before David dies. David actually anoints Solomon himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then much to the chagrin of, is it Abijah? That's his name, right? Yeah. The son of David who declared himself king and then Solomon was anointed king while he was at a party. Uh, yeah, I think so. About how he was king. It might. I think it's Abijah. Anyway. I think you're right. Uh, and then finally, Second Chronicles begins with the reign of Solomon. And we, res- we revisit, again, this is one of Solomon's just absolute 
best moments as king. Good job, Solomon. And this is in Second Chronicles chapter 1. It says, In that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask what I shall give you. And Solomon said to God, You have shown great and steadfast love to David my father and have made me king in his place. O Lord God, let your word to David my father be now fulfilled, that you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust of the earth. A little bit of an exaggeration there, Solomon, but hey, you know, Israel's not exactly a huge place. Uh, Give me now wisdom and knowledge to go out and to come in before this people whom can govern for who can govern this people of yours, which is so great. God answered Solomon. Because this was in your heart and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or the life of those who hate you and have not even asked for long life, but have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern the people over whom I have made you king, wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I will also give you riches, possessions, and honor, such as none of the kings who had who were before you and none after you shall have the like. So Solomon came from the high place at Gibeon from before the tent of, the, of meeting to Jerusalem and he reigned over Israel. So we, yeah, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where it just gives us a really cool, it gives us a really cool picture of who, who Solomon could have been, I guess is one way to look at it. Um, and then it also gives, it gives us a picture of, I don't even know the, I don't even know the right way to say this, I suppose. It's almost a tragic thing to look back on in these chapters of Chronicles, because we see the kind of king that we see that there was a great king in Solomon and he mm-hmm. never quite lives up to it. And so we see, yeah, chapters two through five, they're all about the building of the temple. Um, and again, here's the deal. I keep going back to this, but imagine you're working on the temple while you're reading this. And then you're also reading about these moments where Solomon is building the temple and he's dedicating it. And you're reading about all these things mm-hmm. that he's bringing in from all over the world. And then you are you have this in your mind while you are yourself working on the temple and rebuilding. It's, it's just a cool thing to think about. Yeah, there. absolutely. Uh, and then the moment of the ark, being brought into the temple, that would have just been, that would have been a major moment in your imagination. Like the presence of the Lord being brought into the temple. And now as you are working on the temple, that's what you're hoping for again, right? You want, um, and and you're done too. You're done with the whole, you know, the whole idolatry thing, which has been a huge issue for all of of Israel, for Solomon also. Um, Yeah. I, I just think reading this in that time period would have just hit so differently for those people. For sure. Uh, Chapter six through seven, like I said a little bit before, but it, it just gives us this picture of the great king Solomon could have been. Um, and he blesses the people and he, he dedicates the temple. We also get this cool little aside that was actually left out of Kings, but this is in Chronicles chapter seven, verses one through three. Uh, it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of God on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, for he is good. Hmm. His steadfast love endures forever. That'd be a crazy. Oh moment, my god! It's so it's just so like I don't know why it's left out of Kings. Like that's such a cool thing where like yeah, Solomon is dedicating the temple, and maybe it's because Kings has a little bit more of a negative view of Solomon than uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe than Chronicles does. But yeah, it's just this moment of, and it, it echoes the Elijah moment where Elijah's praying, and then fire from heaven comes and consumes the sacrifices and we licks see. up the water. In the oh, moat. true. Yeah, bad. Go way to go. <laughs> that's so awesome. Thank thank you God for giving us that moment. <laughs> uh, but this yeah, this moment is also cool. And then finally, we have chapter seven concludes with Solomon reminding his people to pray to Yahweh. Um, 
and not forsake his commands. And I, I put down, it's just, it's also a bummer to read <laughs> knowing exactly what happens where, I don't know, and maybe I'm just, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'm just being a Debbie Downer on this whole thing, but I just see this picture of like, oh man, Solomon, like what a great king he could have been yeah. if not for just allowing his vices to completely take over. Cause he goes from being, honestly, he's on track to be a better king than his father yeah. um, to being one of, if not the bad kings of Judah, he's at best like an okay king yeah. of Judah. So it kind of is what it is, but them, them's the breaks. Well, before we move on to uh, our massive Psalms highlight this week. There's we, only 10. There's only a few. Uh, we do want to remind you, dear listeners, beloved listeners, don't forget to leave us a five-star review, especially if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps get the podcast out there to more people. And if you're on Apple Podcasts and you leave a written review, uh, we will read it on the air. Just like, just kidding, there's no one this week, but they could have, hey, that could have been you. And yet here we are. <laughs> just just kidding. So bad. Aaron, what do we have for Psalms? Listen, man, I, you know Evan has an agenda when he calls you a dear listener, um, and, and it's a good agenda to have. Um, but I do love the fact that we are uh, doing, like there are so many reviews coming, uh, and, and I just appreciate over the last few weeks being able to see our numbers uh, tick up of ratings and reviews depending on what uh, platform you're listening on. Uh, as I said, there are 10, uh, so I'll stop. Let me finish that thought. So thank you for leaving reviews and thank you for those of you who will leave a review. I appreciate it. We really enjoy this community and it's a joy to be able to read uh, and record these episodes for us. Um, like I said, there are 10 uh, Psalms we're going to hit today, uh, not today, sorry, in our podcast today, but this week we're going to be reading through 10 of them. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually only going to read one of them uh, because I think it's it's pretty, it's kind of a cool little moment, I think, of this psalm. Uh, and this is the first psalm we're actually going to read this week in Psalm 45. Um, it's, a, it's a hymn celebrating a royal wedding. Uh, and it's really impossible to know for sure which uh, king and which marriage is actually being celebrated. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, in the big picture, it actually doesn't really matter. Uh, but it does, uh, I, I love that this psalm has uh, been taken directly to as messianic. It alludes to the coming Messiah. And we see that because Hebrews actually even recites this uh, specific portion of the psalm. Uh, and so I'm going to read this psalm first. And I, I just want to encourage you as, as I'm reading it, as you read it this week, uh, to kind of just stop and, and reflect on uh, the celebration of this wedding. Um, I we I say this all the time in marriage counseling, when we do premarital counseling or even marriage counseling, like marriage is a gift from God. He created and ordained it. Um, and it is one of the best expressions uh, and one of the most intentional expressions, I would say, of of God in, in alluding to uh, the the arrival of in eternity with him, uh, the anticipation of the bride and arrival and being taken away by the groom. Like there's just this, such this beautiful picture and symbolism that exists there. And so uh, we'll be able to see that there is actually kind of some celebratory realities here in the psalm. But it's 17 verses, so I'm going to read a big chunk of it. And then uh, I'll, I'll read Hebrews as well to show you the connection. But it says this, it says, my heart is moved by a noble theme as I recite my verses to the king. My tongue is the pen of a skillful writer. You are the most handsome of men. Grace flows from your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. Mighty warrior, strap your sword to your side in, in your majesty and splendor. In your splendor, ride triumphantly in the cause of truth, humility, and justice. May your right hand show your awe-inspiring acts. Your sharpened arrows pierce the hearts of the king's enemies. The people fall under you. Your throne, God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. 
You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of joy more than your companions, myrrh, aloes, and cassia perfume, all your garments. From ivory palaces, harps bring you joy. King's daughters are among your honored women. The queen, adorned with gold from Ophir, stands at your right hand. Listen, daughter, pay attention and consider. Forget your people and your father's house, and the king will desire your beauty. Bow down to him, for he is your lord. Lowercase l. The daughter of Tyre, the wealthy people, will seek your favor with gifts. In her chamber, the royal daughter is all glorious, her clothing embroidered with gold. In colorful garments, she is led to the king. After her, the virgins, her companions, are brought to you. They are led in with gladness and rejoicing. They enter the king's palace. Your sons will succeed your ancestors. You will make them, prince, make them princes throughout the land. I will cause your name to be remembered for all generations. Therefore, the peoples will praise you forever and ever. And I love that it's, it, it almost seems, and the reason why I really wanted to kind of read this one and highlight it, because it seems a little bit contrary to all of our other Psalms that we're, we're read, reading so far, where oftentimes the Psalms are alluding to a lament or a celebration of, of God's victory or, or his provision. Uh, and this Psalm is literally written in, in the form to a bride and groom, and it's celebrating this wedding. And it's celebrating them and not necessarily even reflecting on God's goodness or provision. Um, and it can almost kind of seem out of place if we're, if we're not, if we don't, if we stop and think about it for a second, it kind of seems out of place. Uh, and so what I love about it is even in the, some of the footnotes of the ESV study Bible, which is one of the resources I use when I'm just looking over Psalms, um, is that Hebrews recites verses six and seven, directly applying it to Christ. And what I th- why I think that's here, I'll read it first and then I'll explain why I think it's, it's significant. It says this in verses 8 through 9 of chapter 1 of Hebrews. It says, but to the Son, capital S, so that refers to the Son of God, that refers to Christ. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of your kingdom is a scepter of justice. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. This is why God, your God, has anointed you with oil of joy beyond your companions. It ascribes this, this portion of the psalm to Christ himself. Um, but then also then ties the majority of the psalm back to Jesus, back to the coming uh, betrothal, if you will, like a, a husband and wife, the coming marriage of eternity where we as God's people, uh, who the church who is his bride, we see this, uh, this symbolism all throughout the New Testament. Um, but we are awaiting and anticipating arriving at, at home in the palace of, of our suitor. Um, and I just think it's really important and, and pretty incredible to see the, just the, the joy, the splendor, the triumph, the, the verbiage, the, the rejoicing that exists in this psalm, even though it's written to celebrate the marriage of, of a king and, and his, at that point, queen, it really also is deeply connected to Christ. And as we, I mean, we talked about this last week, but this idea of urgency, um, I think there's something significant about having eternity on our minds and in our hearts. Ecclesiastes, we've said this before, says very clearly, he has written eternity on their hearts. Um, so there is this longing and deep desire to be uh, in in God's family and be a part of, of eternity with him. Uh, and even a psalm like this that's celebrating a, 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 a human union alludes to Christ's provision for a, an eternal union between humanity and God himself, the creator. Um, and so I think that's f- kind of a fun little s- 
it almost feels a little bit uh, uh, of a sidestep from our normal Psalms reading. Uh, and that's why I want to read it today. So it's a royal psalms or a hymn psalm, celebra- hymn celebrating a royal wedding, um, but also a deep connection to Christ himself. So that's Psalm 45. Um, we're also going to read Psalm 30, uh, which is composed by David for the dedication of the temple. Uh, and just as a reminder, I know Evan already alluded to this, the dedication of the temple had actually already taken place. Uh, or, or, sorry, David already died before the temple had taken place. So David wrote this before he died to be used at the dedication of the temple. Uh, and so it's an overall theme is uh, a, a one of personal thanksgiving for God's repeated care and deliverance uh, over the course of a life. And so uh, David composes this, wants it read at the dedication of the temple. Uh, so that's what Psalm 30 is. Psalm 120 is the first of what's called the Songs of Ascent. Um, and the Songs of Ascent are really meant, are songs that would be uh, sung by the body of of God's people and a corporate gathering and so a journey to Jerusalem, whether it's ascending the steps of Jerusalem, the city of Jerusalem, the temple to, to perform and, and uh, honor the sacrifices and the festivals that God's people are required to every year. Uh, but this is something that would be sung and known well, uh, which are the songs of ascent. They would all be known well and they would all be able to recite them and sing them. Um, so Psalm 120 specifically is an individual lament uh, sung by someone who's living away from Israel um, and his distress, his concerns, the way the deceitful people are stirring up war while the psalmist prefers peace. Um, so the psalmist, he's writing in an individual lament who desires peace but see war stirring up. And this would be one of the songs that would be sung as they're heading to Jerusalem as a corporate body. Psalm 131 is a psalm of confidence in the Lord. Uh, models that a model's ideal frame of a soul uh, before God, which is this calmed and quieted soul. Uh, so that's the psalm. It, the heart behind it, the purpose of the psalm is this confidence in the Lord. Uh, psalm 133 is a wisdom psalm, uh, and this one celebrates the beauty of brothers in Israel dwelling together. So it's just this idea of unity um, that ce- is celebrated. Uh, psalm 12 uh, is a community lament uh, suited to occasions when God's people uh, are dominated by liars in positions of authority. Hmm, sounds a little bit like our world today. What? So, shots fired. Uh, it's not clear whether these are liars or unfaithful Israelites or Gentile oppressors, uh, but the reality is it works for either occasion. Uh, so, but it is this lament. Um, and again, the thing, I say this, I think every time we hit the Psalms, I think it's really important to realize the Psalms are not just poet poetry that we read, but there really are prayerful sections of, of laments or heartbeats or um, even teaching us how to, how to pray. And Psalm 12 is a great example of this. Um, and I know it's kind of like a flippant thing to say, oh man, we have a, we're in a, uh, God's people are dominated by liars and positions of authority. And I'm not trying to be flippant with that, but the reality is uh, our world is broken and we need to learn how to pray. Uh, for our world, because I, I don't think anything's going to change without a, a desperate shift in God's people's desire to pray for the world they live in, not a not a complaint about the world they live in. So, um, so I say that very carefully, but I think Psalm 12 is one of the great psalms that we can learn uh, about how to pray and cry out to God in in response to our current context. Um, going on, Psalm 72 is a royal psalm uh, praying. It prays that the heirs of David's, again, the, the royal psalm specifically is in line about David's line, his the lineage of David, the heirs of David's throne. Um, and so this one's specifically praying that the heirs of David's line, beginning with Solomon, might have success in the task that God has assigned to the king. Um, the psalm also looks forward to the worldwide rule uh, that embraces in full what the Messiah will accomplish. 
accomplish. Um, fun fact, just so uh, this is more Evan's love language here, but um, some of the hymns we have in modern day, and I, I say modern day, uh, meaning the 1900s, 18, 1900s, um, there was hymns, old, we call them old songs now. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, but there's two that actually find their, uh, their reason for writing or connected directly to the psalm. One is Jesus shall reign and hail to the Lord's anointed. So a ah. um, little side note, fun fact for Evan today. Uh, psalm 97 uh, is a hymn celebrating God's kingship over all his creation. Um, and we're going to find that Psalm 97, 98, 99, which are the psalms we're finishing up this week with, are all hymns that are celebrating God's kingship uh, over his creation. Uh, with specific focuses. And so Psalm 97, it particularly focuses on how God's universal rule assures the the faithful of his final victory over evil and idolatry. Psalm 98 uh, celebrates the same kingship over all creation uh, by referring to the marvelous things of salvation that God has worked in the sight of the Gentiles and on behalf of his people. And then Psalm 99 is a a a hymn celebrating God's kingship over all creation by focusing on his exalted holiness and wonder, uh, that he has made a way for his people to come into his presence without danger. Uh, and so that's that's kind of where the Psalms will wrap up. So it's kind of fun to see at the at the end of the week here as we read through Psalms, these three specifically, it's, it's strategically ways to celebrate God's kingship over all creation in specific formulas and ways. And so uh, those will be the Psalms that we hit this week, uh, all 10 of them, uh, kind of some fun little nuances there, but um, all, again, intentional ways that we can be able to learn and be stretched and challenged to grow and pray and and uh, even lament and cry out to God on behalf of the world we live in. So that's mm-hmm. that's where where it leaves us. Well, good times. Oh, that's a lot of psalms, Aaron. But you, you, <laughs> it's so true. You recap them so beautifully. I do what I can, bro. Uh, before we wrap up for this week, we also did have a question come in. And so they list this listener. Uh, I would say beloved listener, but they open up by saying, dear Ryan and Evan, uh, dear Ryan go. and Aaron. So, so just me. They just won't talk to me. Wow. No, I'm just kidding. Hurtful. Love you, Rachel. Don't worry. Hurtful. Evan, Evan's a big baby. Uh, so it says, Second Kings 2.3 and 2.5, Elisha replies, so be quiet to the prophets when they ask Elisha if he knows that his master is going to be taken from him today. Why do you think he directed them to be quiet? This is really interesting. I, I never thought of this one before, you know, as far as like, why, what's the reasoning there? Uh, so to read the passage, here it goes. This is in 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha went on their way to Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel and the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, yeah, I love that. Keep quiet. Uh, Elisha or sorry, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho and the sons of the prophets who were in Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. All right. So yeah, here's the deal. This is this is also kind of just a big speculative question because it's not laid out specifically in scripture why they say this. I think there's two ways that you can read this. There's a really hyper spiritual way. And then there's the other way, which I might actually land on a little bit more. But the this scene reminds me a little bit of the transfiguration 
where something incredible is about to happen. So in the transfiguration, right, you see Jesus and he's glorified. And then you see Moses and Elijah and Peter opens up his mouth when it's clear like, hey, just just shut up and, you know, watch this happen. I think that could be what's going on a little bit where it's just like, yes, I know this amazing thing is going to happen. Just be quiet. This is not the time to talk. Um, I kind of read it as like essentially, yeah, I know, shut up. <laughs> it's kind of what Elijah's saying where like, um, and, you know, to to a certain extent, I think there's some grief with Elisha here, where he is losing um, his his mentor. He's losing his his spiritual father here. Um, this would be a, a very bittersweet moment in that he's not dying. He's being taken up to be with the Lord. Um, but at the same time, that means that their earthly relationship will be over. So I think there could be some of that in there as well as basically saying like, you know, he's not in the mood to like necessarily talk about it or like, yeah, why do you keep saying it? I, I know that this is coming on. Um, I kind of just view it as Elisha is just annoyed with the fact that they're bringing it up. So maybe that's the, it's, but it's kind of like the way that like I interpret um, when the Lord calls to Gideon and calls him mighty warrior or when the angel of the Lord calls Gideon a mighty warrior, I'd interpret, I interpret that as sarcasm. I don't even think it needs to be this like prophetic utterance. I think it can just be like <laughs> watching Gideon hide and like, Hey, mighty warrior. And so I think it could be something, some, something similar here where it could be this really spiritual, like, Hey, just be quiet and get ready for this incredible thing that's about to happen. I also think that Elisha could just be annoyed with them. Um, and we also know that Elisha has a tendency to be annoyed with people as we know from people who called him baldy. Baldy, baldy. Yep. So that's so funny. I think there's probably that. I don't know if you have any difference of opinion there. No, I don't think you have I don't a necessary difference of opinion. I think um, I was looking it up here. The the word Elisha used um, to say be quiet is is a Hebrew word called chasha'a, um, which simply means to hush. And so, and the implication I would actually I would actually agree with the grief filter. Um, He's following Elijah around because he wants to follow Elijah. He wants to continue to be part of a Eli- like right. mentored by Elijah, um, learn from Elijah. Elijah's a great prophet. He and so it is this. I mean, he's following him around from city to city to city, um, and he's keep getting reminded, "Hey, Elijah's going to be taken. Elijah's going to be taken." And so it's this when he says "hush," it it has this filter and this this tone of, "Yeah, I know. Let's not talk about it right now." And it's this grief driven, like recognizing it's going to happen. But it's not happened yet, so can we just not talk about it? Mm-hmm. Um, the way that I kind of view it, and this may be a really bad connection or uh, an analogy, if you will, but it's it, someone who is coming to the end of their life, and the, it, it's like if it, and you know, God forbid, right? Like your your parents, you're we're thirty, forty years older than we are, and your parents right. are coming to the end of their life. Because um, I still believe they've got easy thirty to forty years of their life because they're like brilliant it. people. So. Um, but it's literally like me coming, hey, Evan, you, you know your parents are kind of coming to the end, right? You know that they're probably going to die here in the next you know, handful of years. And it's it just like, yeah, I know, like, but we don't need to talk about it. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a, uh, I, I don't need to live in that. I, I want to live in the present moment. And so that's kind of the, the for me, that's kind of the tone that I, I, I read it in. Like, yes, I know, keep quiet. Yes, I know, don't talk about it. Yes, I know, just shut up. Like, uh, but not in the sense of like, shut up, you. But it's, it's more so with this understanding of like, yes, I get it but I'm not going to live there. I'm going to live in the present. And mm-hmm. so um, it's enjoying, it's also gleaning and learning from um, Elijah in the moment. And that's the other thing too, like with Elijah saying, hey, Elijah, stay here. Elijah's like, no, 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 I'm not done. You're not done yet. I'm not done learning from you yet. I'm not, this 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 uh, relationship, this mentorship, this like th- this is not finished. Um, which I think is, if Elijah, and we know this, if Elijah would, Elisha would have stayed, in one of those towns that Elijah told him to stay in, he would not have received a double portion of what Elijah 
right. had. Yeah. Right. And so there is this 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 picture here where I see Elisha saying, I, I get that it's happening, but that time has not yet come. So I'm not gonna live there. I'm gonna live in the present. Well it's a very it's a very Ruth and Naomi. Yes, uh, picture as well, where it's like you know the, the the older is sending the younger one away, probably with you know good intentions, but the younger yeah. one's like, no, I'm not leaving. Like I'm I'm with you till the end. Yeah. So and so, so that that's the picture I get when it says be quiet. Is it's 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 recognition of what's coming, um, because Elisha's not dumb. Elijah's not dumb. I even think Elijah knows. It's almost as if it's his final his farewell tour. Yeah. <laughs> He's going from city to city, kind of wrapping up his ministry, wrapping up his, you know, his his call. Because uh, he knows that his time is coming, um, and Elijah wasn't an old man. I mean, he wasn't he wasn't to the end of his life by any means. Right. Um, and so, but there is this, I think, this baton that's going to get handed off, um, and it's almost a testing. Like even I think as Elijah saying, "Hey, stay here," and it's almost I almost feel like it could be like there's ministry and there's there's platform and there's a baton being passed in each of these towns, whether it's Bethel or it's Jericho or it's um, whatever other city was there. It's almost one of those things like, hey, I, I can leave you here and you can take over my ministry here. And and Elisha's like, no, nah, I'm going to keep going. Like, I'm not done here yet. You, yeah. you've, you haven't been taken from me. So I think that's more what it is. So a whole lot more to commentary to it than the original question. But uh, that's kind of where I land with it, I think. So so hopefully hopefully that works out. Hopefully that answers your question. And I, I do forgive you for calling me Ryan. So Rachel, thanks for sending the question. I love that you called me Aaron. So <laughs> my favorite. Well, anyway, uh, just as a reminder, uh, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find our whole message archive and a few other resources on our website, grove.church. Um, and if you, if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you'd like to financially contribute to the ministry that the Grove Church does, you can do that on our website. There's a gift button in the upper right-hand corner. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great day, guys.